Hello everyone and welcome along to Northumberland FA podcast from the sidelines. Uh, special guest today, Jamie Williams. Um, we're going to discuss the foundation phase. Uh, hi Jamie, how are you doing? I'm really good, thank you for uh, for inviting me. No problem, Jamie. Jamie, um, just before we get into this uh, this exciting topic, um, do you just want to explain to everyone a little bit uh, on your, your career to date? Yes, um, somebody asked me this the other day and uh, it, it actually dawned on me that uh, I've actually been coaching for 18 years, um, which is quite scary really, because uh, I always thought I was a, a young pup, but uh, obviously not so anymore. Um, spent that time sort of coaching players of all ages, uh, mostly mostly foundation phase. Um, so spent you know a large portion of my time in that age band. Um, I've coached across grassroots, um, so I've done that voluntarily. I've done some grassroots coaching for the FA. Um, I've spent large amounts of time in sort of school settings, so working with that sort of diverse um, class, if you like, across primary school settings and secondary school settings. Um, I've been fortunate to work within the professional game, supporting academy players. Um, really exciting to see some of them now breaking through into um first team playing squads and some out on loan and and just um yeah forging their careers so that's exciting um main thing i would always point to with regards to my career it's not it's it's never about the the roles that i've had yes they've given me some really good opportunities but it's it's very much about the people that i've met along the way um i mean i think we're really blessed up in the north gary um with the coaching talent that's that's around and, and it just so happens that you know I've kind of fallen into some of those coaching circles and there's been some like outstanding coaches and unbelievable mentors that have that have helped me to kind of see things the way that I see things today um I definitely haven't got all the answers um and my view isn't right um I don't think it's helpful to say right or wrong it's it's really just my best guess at this moment in time and and the reason why I'm going to share some of the stuff that I share today is is a result of the experiences that I've shared with um, with lots and lots of wise and um, outstanding sort of coaches and people. Um, but in another ten years, hopefully, my view will will have changed and shifted for the better. And um, you know, that's that's what we do, don't we? We we go in search of the answers, knowing that uh, we'll never find them all. Yeah, well, we've done a few few gigs together. Uh, Jamie in the past so really looking forward to this today uh, and I'm sure your your knowledge and expertise around this uh, around the theme uh, is is going to be uh, well taken on by the by the listeners so we're talking about the foundation phase but you put the twist on this the foundation phase um go on explain that to me yeah well Back in around about sort of 2017, 2018, I, I, I was lucky to do a piece with um, Pete Sturges, um, who is like the wizard, isn't he? He's sort of the the main man when it comes to all things foundation phase. Um, and I did a little piece, like a sort of a five-part piece for his England DNA stuff. Um, and we called it the foundation experience. Um, so I've kind of used that phrase ever since. And... Um, it's kind of based on like a few beliefs, really, which is that, like, number one, I believe that like fun and love trumps everything. 
Um, I think like fun and love comes before technical, tactical stuff. I read a piece recently on Jurgen Klopp, um, which talked about the care that he shows his players. Um, so if it's kind of good enough at the top end, it's it's definitely good enough for the for the kids at the at the youngest age groups. And and really that comes from this this knowledge um, that that children are driven by emotion. Um, they do what the heart tells them to do, and 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 really what they want to do. Um, if anybody's got young children, um, they'll know that uh, they they kind of do what they want um, within reason. Um, but that comes from like interest, joy, curiosity, um, because that's actually what drives their commitment to learn. Um, so it's it's really important that uh, we we understand the importance of people having fun and being interested because. Um, if we're interested in getting better, which as coaches, that's pretty important to us. Um, we know that learning takes time and, and commitment. And the only way that we kind of commit to something is if we give it our sort of full attention and, 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 and have interest in what we're doing, because that's what kind of keeps us, keeps us coming back. The other thing that's really important around learning um, is that children learn by doing so actually through playing and exploring and experimenting so again just think about anything that like you might have learned um, whether that's as a young child or as an adult um, I would imagine the fun factor is pretty important because that's what kind of draws you back again and again and again and if we're pretty comfortable that learning takes time then um, you need to keep returning to it so you need to keep going back to sessions and you need to keep engaging with the game um, the minute that becomes not fun anymore is the minute that people will stop coming back. And if they stop coming back, there's a pretty high chance that they'll stop or they'll disengage and stop getting better. Um, another belief would be that um, I really do believe that like a positive sport experience will and can um, enhance childhood. And and that's how we should look at it as coaches. It's it's about how do we make um, experiences of playing football and sport um, for for young children a really really positive and happy memory that kind of sticks sticks with them forever. And and again, if I look back at my memories of, um, of 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 sport as a young person, I kind of remember the good and the bad. So I remember the stuff that I loved and the stuff that excited me, and I remember the stuff that made me made me feel a bit sad and and uh, that I didn't so much enjoy. And the kind of stuff in the middle is pretty much lost. Um, but if we if we believe in creating positive memories for young people, then fun again needs to sit at the very very heart of it. Um, and 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 also the fact that actually it should be really fun for for us as adults as well. So if like if you're a coach or an adult involved in this foundation phase, like you should be having like the most amazing days of your life as well. I mean, I've I've had some of my my fondest coaching experiences were with um, with children between the ages of five and twelve because um, they're just like a bundle of joy. They're like full to the brim with it. Um, I'm gonna share you a good little story actually because only the other day. Um, I was out on the golf course with my son, some Elliot's seven-year-old, and uh, he was on the green. Um, he's getting better as he as he kind of goes. And uh, I was in the bushes like normal, and um, I was kind of behind a tree, and I was searching for my ball. And uh, I turned around, and uh, he was on the green, and he was just like lay down like a starfish, right? And he's just next to the hole on his back, lying down on the green. And I just couldn't help but laugh, and I just turned and smiled because actually that is the world of a of a seven year old. You know, the 
they're very they're not restricted by like um you know what you can and can't do he just for whatever reason I was probably taking too long to find my ball but for whatever reason he decided he's just gonna lie on the green next to the hole which of course adults just wouldn't do but the point being is that um they're uh they're alluring to themselves but in a good way because they 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 operate without boundaries and without restrictions and without kind of too many kind of conformities um and I just thought it was a great example of of how young people can make you smile um, but you have to allow them to do it. You know, if I turned around and bellowed at him and told him that you're not allowed to lie down on the golf course, you know, he's probably never going to do that again. Um, but the point being is it wasn't causing anybody harm. In fact, that's what he felt was the right thing to do at that moment in time. And it just brought like the most amazing smile to my face. Um, and just to kind of con- conclude again, it's that, that one of like, I'm not saying this is the answer. Like it's, it's, it's really just like my views, but I also have come to learn that there's certain things that are important to me. So like my values are a front and center of everything that I do. And like one of the most important um, things for me is that, that everybody has a really good time. Like I want people to have a great time in each other's company. So again, that's why fun would be right at the front for me. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think sports just for the few. And I don't think kids should have more opportunities than other kids. I want everybody to have a great time. Um, so fun is is like front and center. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, what is this, or should this look like for coaches coaching in the foundation phase? Yeah, well, um, good question. Um, some stuff to think about for me would be, I always say varieties like should come first. Like, can you make it a pick and mix experience for the kids? Mm. Um, so like try and hit them with a variety of experiences right from the off so different formats of the game um, opportunities to play indoors and outdoors on different surfaces play futsal play multi-sports experiences of winning and losing Um, and that's that's a really important one which is that we go in pursuit of trying to win games because that's what sport is but actually if we're interested in developing young people well-rounded young people, um, losing is really important. So they need to to have that experience. And, and it should maybe be, we should be quite deliberate around it, giving them experiences that are probably going to trip them up a little bit so that they can uh, pick themselves back up and you can help them learn and, and, and support them through that. I think mixed age play is really important. So actually opportunities to mix with olders and youngers um, is a is a really, really important thing to do. And if you're fortunate as a, as a football club to have num- a number of different age groups training on um, on the same training night, I would encourage you that maybe one, you know, one session a term or one session a month, you might do like a bit of a mashup where older kids get to mix with younger kids. And there's just so much kind of cross-age learning that kind of goes there. Um, you need to give players a space to, to kind of play and to explore and to think without boundaries. So it's almost like setting them free. So your session should be, um, it it shouldn't have the chains on them. It should be very much about, let's go and explore the possibilities. Um, I I was working with a group of of players and coaches last night, and and, and the focus was around designing games that are skill-focused, all action, and that encourage lots of interaction with the ball. So lots of small-sided stuff. Um, The game can be 1v1. It doesn't have to be the the big version of the game. So lots of 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3s, 
maybe up to 4v4 um, because it's just going to in, in, increase the, the number of interactions with the ball, both defensively and attacking. Um, focus on strengths. So I, I, it pains me when I see anybody really, but particularly coaches of young people, um, highlighting the deficiencies and the weaknesses. Um, you know, remember a lot of these kids, uh, just by definition, are new to the game. Um, focus on the strengths and celebrate the good stuff. Um, if if you if you score and value something, children, particularly when they're young, they'll begin to kind of display more and more of that thing. So um, we played a game last night, which was called the Eliminator. It's probably my favourite game, and and it's very simple. You score additional points for beaten players, um, and we know that there's lots of different ways to beat players. So you might shine the torch on one twos. You might shine the torch on. Um, kill through skill, as I call it. Um, but you score it. And as soon as you score it, players do it more because they want, you know, they find a way to beat the game and to and to try and score points. Um, really important is to let kids be kids. Um, there's a there's a nice, nice saying. I, I, I don't know where it came from, but uh, it stuck with me for many years, which is that a 10-year-old is not half of a 20-year-old. He or she is a 10-year-old. And it's, I think sometimes, again, we, we, we obsess about like the end in mind, don't we? That idea of the fully grown player or the, the, bigger, the biggest version of the game. Um, but actually, like, get lost in the here and now. And if you're working with eight-year-olds, remember the rate. And you need to think like an eight-year-old in order to, to plan appropriate sessions. Um, I think I've talked about multi-sport, but that would be important, this idea of like developing well-rounded athletes. Um, and encourage and incorporate other sports. Football's become like a little bit of a year-round project, hasn't it? Where like it, it might get in the way of kids having experiences of other sports. And, and um, I think there's two things we can do. One is that we can work with other sports clubs and try and encourage kids to go and have the cricket season and the rugby season and the football and tennis and all of these other things. But also incorporate it into, into what you do. You know, you can play games which require players to um, to roll or to crawl and to get up because those movements are really important. Um, probably like really important, going back to my, my point about Elliot on the golf course, is like as coaches, we must never take ourselves too seriously. Like smile, laugh, enjoy the ride with them. Um, because like we're here to learn as well. It's not about me barking orders from the sideline and, and having all the answers. We can learn together with the players, um, but we should just have loads of fun with the players, mm. like smile and laugh often. And, and when something daft and funny happens, enjoy it, enjoy the moment. Um, and then just understanding that fun can look different for different players. So um, trying to seek to understand like what motivates different people. Um, would be a, a pretty good use of your time. So actually asking them what, you know, what would be fun, what would what would make this this session more exciting, um, and then try and adapt your behaviour to kind of fit the the needs and and wants of whatever group of players you've got. That, that leads me nicely into the into the um, next next question, Jamie. Um, why? We talk about tag games a lot with this age group. Why are they so important uh, within the young person's development? Oh man, like 
what's what's not to like about tag games for a start? Um, I, I do a little bit of work for a, a company called um, it's a Sport England funded project actually, Boing Kids, and they do a lot of teacher education stuff. Um, and part of that is to work with the coaches and the teachers um, and show them some games and talk about some principles. And they all love tag games, right? And like adults love tag games, kids love tag games. So what's not to like? Um, well, what are they? They're fun, they're competitive. Uh, the environment's ever changing. Um, they develop movement skills without children necessarily knowing that they're they're even practicing movement skills. Um, I think what I love about tag games and why I think they're so important um, is that the players are responding to the environment in them, um, and that's what physical literacy is. It's it's about moving in response to something, um, and that's important to learn it. So it's like there's a reason for why I move rather than being told to move. Um, and I think you can get creative with tag games as well, like in how you design them. So we talk about incorporating different movements. One of my favorite games is called Forward Roll Tag. And it's just really simple, which is that you have some chasers, you have some uh, evaders, and, 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 and the people who are running around trying to stay clear, if they get tug, they have to, they have to do a forward roll before they can carry on. And now I just score from the side. Every forward roll I see means there's been a tag. And the taggers might have 45 seconds to get as many points as possible. But I'm incorporating some different movements in with um, a game of tag. Um, and the kids have a lot of fun when they're doing that. Um, another another fun one that, that springs to mind would be like big ball tag. And I've done this with senior players as well as I've done it with, um, with, with the smallest ones. But if you've ever had like one of those big aerobics balls, like the kids come alive when you bring them up. But um, yeah, you, you basically have a big, aerobics ball that the catchers uh, run around with so you might have two or three aerobics balls in the hands of two or three taggers and the job is they've just got to try and throw this off 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 people but what does that mean is it means that people are ducking and diving and twisting and moving you know the big ball yeah it wipes you out if it hits you but it's not going to hurt um and and yeah just again just get creative with how you how you incorporate tag it doesn't just have to look like um you know, Tiggy, as we as, as we once remembered it. You know, there's there's great versions of like Bib Snatch and things like that. Um, but I love them. Like they are the best. Like such good games. Gary, one of the key messages coming out from the FA at present is around at grassroots is around development more skillful players. Uh, should this be a key message that that we're getting out to to all coaches currently? You know, and and how do we do that? Yeah, I mean, let's let's imagine a game where um, where players are more skillful. Like it's a it's an exciting prospect, isn't it? Um, you, you know, Phil Foden gets a lot of um, praise at the minute, um, mainly because of his skill. Like he is a skillful player. Like people want to watch him. And 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 it's again, it's remembering that that football is an entertainment. At the end of the day, its its purpose is to um, is to entertain people. Um, and skill is another reason why people will turn on the telly or will or will keep going back to the games. But I guess the key question is like, what do we want them to be skillful for? So remembering we're talking about foundation phase players here, so the youngest ones. Um, just to put things in perspective, and I know I've brought them up a few times, but like my son's seven year old, um, which means that he won't turn eighteen until he's two until two thousand and thirty three. Right. So he'll enter adulthood in 2033. So as a parent, I've got 11 years, I've got the next 11 years to help him develop some skills that's going to kind of serve him well in the future 
Um, and the truth is that that's a world that we haven't got a clue about, right? Now, if he was a footballer, it's no different. The game we need to be ready in young players for is a game that currently doesn't exist. So with that in mind, what skills are important? Because actually it's more than just technique or game skills. It's about trying to develop adaptability. So a broad range of skills that can be applied to a changing game because the game will keep changing. Um, Mechanisms for coping is becoming more and more important. And what I mean by that is the ability to cope with uncertainty and change. Um, Our world has changed dramatically over the last sort of three years. And and generally, the people who've coped the best, the people who seem to be um, in good mental health are those who have been able to adapt, but also have the ability to cope. So things like courage and resilience and persistence is really important. And if you've ever seen me coach, one of the things I one of the behaviours I often um, refer to and try and, and, and value and celebrate is never giving up. So that is a skill in itself. Um, and then another really important skill would be like that appetite to keep learning and to keep wanting to improve. So like curiosity and, and reflection and things like that. So when we talk about skillful players, I think it's also helps us talk, talk about skillful people in like adaptability, coping mechanisms, and like that constant love for and want to keep learning um, is is definitely going to serve people well because the only thing we know about the future is that we don't know. So think about skills for the future rather than like skills for the next 10 minutes. Um, the next 10 minutes is important because actually I'm, I'm here with you and I want to engage, but actually it's okay if you haven't developed the skills like within a week because we've got the next 11 years, you know, for my son to turn 18. Um, And we generally like develop skills in areas that we love and enjoy. Um, So a really important focus and and the FA really hammer home on this and rightly so is to primarily develop a love for the game, because if you love what you do, you increase the chances that you'll that you'll excel at it um, and that you'll stay engaged with it. Um, So that's really important for me. If we if the most skillful players will also be players who love the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that in mind, then what what should what practice design look like to develop these type of players in the younger age groups? Yeah, my my thoughts on it would be that it should be free and playful. Um, yeah. They've got a long time to learn, so give them the opportunity to explore and the space to try things. Um, skillful players need an environment that's forgiving of mistakes, so where mistakes are accepted. Um, and at times mistakes are even celebrated because if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not working on hard enough problems. Um, so don't see mistakes as being a sign of a bad session. If it's too, if it's too stretching and too challenging and the players are getting frustrated yet, we probably need to kind of draw it back a little bit and try and make it a little bit more appropriate or easier. But actually if the problems that the players are exploring are kind of just on the edge it's a bit like kind of climbing a tree and just trying to reach that that next branch. And, um, you, you know, there's a way to get to it. I just haven't found out yet. They just need some encouragement and they need some support um, around that. Um, I would have a mixture of I, I, I break them into games and the game. So I think that's that, that's an important factor. Um, yeah. I would be less inclined to do 
structured drilled practice and it's not to say that that's wrong but again if we want to talk about a love for the game and a lostness and a an environment where players are responding to something and, and, and looking for information, I would go games and the game. Um, and within those games, I would try and shine a torch on on skills. So like an example would be, I think I talked about the eliminator before, that shines the torch on um, dribbling skills or connection skills where you combine and play around people. You could flip it and talk about, well, what's the greatest form of defending? Well, the greatest form of defending surely is one where you haven't got to tackle somebody. So let's look at interception. So you might start to value interceptions and say, actually, I've got a clicker in hand for this team and my co-coach has got a clicker in his hand. Um, and every time you intercept a pass, you score a point for your team. So what do we expect to happen? Well, the players will increase their awareness and their readiness to intercept passes because they know that that's how they can score some points. Um, from a game point of view, um, so the game is two goals, one ball, two teams. That's what the game is. Um, if it, it could be 1v1, it could be 5v5, it could be 11v11. Um, games might be more multi-directional. So it might be some 360 games or it might be, I, I do a lot of multi-ball stuff where actually there's a couple of different balls in the game um, or there's a load of 1v1 duels going on and lots of interference and, and stuff going on. Um, but again, they are really valuable because for developing skill, it can be helpful that you can wriggle and move and twist and turn in any direction. So when you've got goals scattered around the area, um, we become skillful to find out where the free goals are. Um, and it also develops our kind of scanning and our awareness to think 360. So 360 degree players is, is definitely the future. But in order to develop players who look around and search for information, you have to give them information to look for. Um, other stuff would be like, we know that young people want to impress adults. Um, so that it's really, really important that we're interested in what they're doing and that we spend some time noticing it and we celebrate it. And that doesn't just mean like the best player in the group or your own son or your daughter. It means all of them. It means actually celebrating and, and, and being present enough to see what everybody's doing, because that is a great way to motivate young people. If you notice something and you put your thumb up and say, I love that, that was great. Or as I did yesterday, I went and spoke to a young boy called Alfie and I said, I get really excited when you get on the ball because you make things happen. And it changed his game. It like it made him just find another 10 percent. It was fantastic. Um, I think a really common mistake that we make, you know, as, as coaches, I talk about this with um, with groups on like the old level one and things like that, is that often we begin with the game. So like we watch match of the day and we say, OK, that's what the game looks like. So therefore, I'm going to try and drop my players into something that looks like that. Um, I think we need to flip it on its head and, and we'd be far better served, particularly when we're working with younger players to begin with like the players, to begin with the child. It's that idea of like, who am I coaching and what are the characteristics that they have before I then think about, well, what am I going to prioritize? Um, and there's a lovely, lovely quote. Um, I think it was Pete that shared it with me years and years back, which is that it's easier to fit the game to the child than fit the child to the game. And again, if we know that children are, so what do we know about very, very young players? We know that they're quite, self-centered quite egocentric they see the ball as a toy they want to they want to spend time with the ball so the idea of sharing for a six-year-old or a seven-year-old is like that's so alien to them 
But then we put them in a 5v5 game and we demand that they play on two-touch or that we, we, we want teamwork, where actually the thing that that child is most ready for is to practice dribbling, twisting, turning, running with the ball, shielding and protecting. And it just requires us to adapt our practice or adapt the game that we put them into so that they can practice that more often because it makes sense to work on the stuff that the players are most primed and ready for. Um, rather than the stuff that we think the game requires and then realise that when they're teenagers, oh, we better teach them dribbling now because we're past it, past it, past it, but we we never really unlock the door. But you've missed your window of time where players are most motivated and the pitches are small enough to really emphasise and work on something like dribbling and skill, Um, which then brings us like, and I'll not dwell on it because I know you've recently done a podcast with with Pete and, and he talks brilliantly about the benefits of small-sided games. But like, why 5v5 for six-year-olds? You know, we, we know that they want to spend that time with the ball and they're motivated to score goals. So having nine other players on the pitch is just going to reduce the amount of touches, the amount of time, and it's definitely going to reduce um, my opportunity to score again and again. So play 1v1 and 2v2 and 3v3. Play it sometimes with small goals, but also play it with big goals and goalkeepers. That's fine. But make it a format where everybody can get loads of opportunities to be skillful. Um, And then, like, lastly, if we're really wanting to create an environment where this can happen, is, like, be patient about it. Like, just chillax a little bit. Um, Make it about that next, like, 10, 11 years, not the next 10 or 11 minutes. Um, and, uh, yeah, they don't need it all now. So, again, another slight failing of coaches is that we have all this knowledge, and particularly if you've got a lot of experience as a player or, or you've coached for years and years across age groups, is we've got all this knowledge that we just want to kind of, like, drop on the players. But they can only deal with so much at, at, at any given time. So what are your priorities? Yes, you know loads about the game, and yes, that's going to become important. But save it. Just wait until there's a more appropriate time. Um, and I'll give you like a really simple example that that, that I've, I've used on many, many occasions. It's something I really strongly believe. So we all know that teamwork is really important, right? So working together as a team is important in life, and it's certainly important in sport. But if you're working with foundation phase players, in order to get people to work with others or, or before getting them to work with others, we have to ask the question, what precedes teamwork and working together? And the answer to that is recognizing and celebrating the skills of other people. So if you actually then shine the torch on to work better with others, you have to recognize and celebrate their skills. We might want to spend a lot of our time in conversation with people about um, who uh, you know, what's, what, what, what would you say is Gary's superpower? What's Gary's superpower? What's his super strength? Um, Gareth Southgate's just picked up the phone. He wants to know about Gary. Um, what are we going to tell him? Right? What's he really good at? Or what's she really good at? Um, and that's getting players in a very fun and playful way to think about other people. Because they'll never work well with other people until they respect and understand like the, you know, the benefits of working with them. The reason for sharing that story is that we we fast track ourselves to say it's all about the team. It's all about pass and move. But there are certain things that precede that kind of end goal. And that's where Pete does a wonderful job and and, and people should 
should really spend some time reading or watching some of his or some of his work because it'll be helpful to age appropriateify what we do because that's when we're going to nail it when we get age appropriate coaches who truly understand the age and stage of their young people you know you don't see a a primary school teacher teaching uh, the hobbit and they don't teach the hobbit for a reason because actually there's stages that that go below reading big novels you know we start with picture books and small you know books with only a handful of words for a reason um and it's the same in football like where are you in the player journey prioritize the stuff that's relevant and that fits the child Jamie you touched on it in your in your last paragraph there around uh, adaptability and adapting as a coach how does the how important is the step principle yeah especially step within the CH group yeah step principle is really helpful it's a really helpful tool for coaches. Um, what is it used for? It's used to help us adapt activities. So like the acronym stands for S is for space. Um, T, to be fair, Gary, I've, I've heard T used a couple of ways. So I've heard it used for time and task, um, yeah. E for equipment and P for people. It's basically, it's a, fr it's a framework to help us to change stuff around. So um, examples would include uh, you, you you might be working on a on a game. Uh, you might adapt the space. So you might go like small space if you want to increase the likelihood of shielding and twisting and turning. Bigger state, bigger spaces would would open up some opportunities to to dribble, to run with the ball. Um, obviously, there's some sort of physical implications to changing the space as well. So there might be some reasons why you do that. Um, changing the task. So that's about making the practice easier and harder. Um, or reducing the time, increasing the time again, the same thing. Um, the, the good thing about this one is that, and, and in fact, all of these, is that it can be applied to the whole group. It might be applied to one team, but not the other team. So you might find that actually one team's really flying. And actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply a, like a bit of a, a, a slightly different challenge. So it yeah. might be that, let's say we're talking about staying on the ball or whatever it might be. I might have one team where there's, unlimited number of passes if you know they can use however many passes they need the other team who who i think need a bit of a stretch i might say okay you're on three passes max so now they've really got to think about when they use those passes and why um other stuff could be could be applied to the individual so like yesterday i was working with a with a group and and, and uh, i often spend time hanging around the kids and asking them some questions and uh we got I overheard them talking about a player and actually he was a really, really talented player. And they said, yeah, but he never passes the ball. So I turned to this young lad and I said, um, I said, if you can use your dribble, uh, your dribbling to create a goal that somebody else scores, your team will get three points. So immediately by scoring it, he, he started to do it. So he knew that he could dribble and beat people. So therefore he kept doing it. But now that the goalpost had changed and the task had moved, to how he could score more points for his team, he started to pass the ball. So again, I just used like some information I'd heard from somebody to try and to try and impose like a little bit of a challenge on him, and he enjoyed it. Um, different equipment affords different opportunities. So like goals, balls um, can be adapted to give people different challenges. Um, imagine dribbling with like a tennis ball versus a size four ball. It just gives you a slightly different challenge. Um, it's not 
guaranteed to make players more skillful. It just gives them a different challenge and gives them something different to think about. Really nice example I always use around like different equipment. And, and, and it's the only time I've ever seen this done, it was, um, we both know Robbie. So Robbie Pringle, excellent coach, um, was once working with a group of foundation phase players and, and we didn't have any goals. So we had um, like poles. And uh, it was a really nice idea that he, that he brought in, which was that every time a goal is scored by a team, the, the poles become a little bit closer. So you had two teams and they were actually both attacking different sized goals. So the more successful you were, the more, the more goals you scored, the smaller the goal you were trying to score into against the goalkeeper got. Um, and what does that mean? Is It just means that people have to adapt their behaviour and find more creative ways to score in a smaller goal versus a bigger goal. But it's progressive with your success. So the goals got smaller, the more successful you were being. And then people is like, who are you dueling with and why are you dueling with them? Uh, do you play under loads, loads and overloads? I do loads of double trouble stuff with the foundation phase, which is actually who needs a challenge? And, you know, Gary puts his hand up and says, yeah, yeah, I want a challenge. I'm ready. I'm ready. I say, OK, are you ready for double trouble? And Gary now has to play one versus two. And it's just a nice way of stretching people and, and challenging, but it can also go the other way and offer support. So, yeah, the step principle is really helpful. Um, it's kind of one of those things that whether you put it on your session planner or you just have it in the back of your head, um, it, it can definitely help us support more players to be either challenged or experience success. Because in any session with any age group, that's what you're aiming for. You're aiming for every player to experience some success and to have some stretch like and it's mm. always in balance you don't want too much of one thing it's like the goldilocks thing of like too hot too cold too much success not a good thing because you're not challenged too much stretch and no success not a good thing because you're going to be stressed to hell mm. so, so jimmy is is coaches at our, our role at all levels but more so with with the with the younger players is to uh inspire and engage the players to love the game um what would be your key messages from today's podcast yeah key messages i mean you've, you've hit the nail on the head there which is that it's about fun and love right it is it's it's ultimately about how do we help as many young people as many young boys and girls fall in love with the game so that they look back fondly on their time as a young person but they're still playing the game that's like 65 um, and if some go on and achieve um, a career in the sport, wonderful. But if others um, go on and, and, and remain involved in the game for adulthood, that's equally wonderful. There's not one, neither of those is better than the other, if that makes sense. It's about achieving your goals and, and, and achieving your potential and, and different people's potential falls in different ways. Um, some key messages around that would be, I think we touched on it before, start with the child in mind. So really start with like, who is it that I'm coaching and what do I know about them? What are the characteristics? What are the motivations? Because that should inform what it is that we're going to learn and what we're going to work on and how I'm going to support them and coach them. Um, that idea of like future skills. So can you coach tomorrow, today? Um, and again, that's not that's not an easy task. In fact, that's a really difficult task that teachers should be thinking about in, in education. Parents should be thinking about at home. Coaches should be thinking about on the sports field. Um, 
what skills and, 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 and what learning is going to serve these people well for a world that does not yet exist? And again, we touched on those earlier around like ad adaptability, that ability to kind of cope and, and survive with stuff. Um, and, and yeah, just a love for learning. Like learning is, or my model of learning is that you have an experience of something, you reflect on the experience that you've had, and then you've got a choice of whether you, you stick with the behaviors that you've, you've done or you, or you adapt them. And then you have another experience. It's like the boxer, right? So boxing is a great feedback sport because if you get punched in the face, it hurts and it quickly sends you back to the gym to work on your stance or your guard or whatever it might be, how quick you move your feet, because you don't really want to get punched in the face again. All right. But it's just good feedback. Like getting punched in the dish is not a it's not a failing. It's just feedback from the sport. Um, and then you go back and you adapt. Right. And all of those things will serve a boxer well in the future. Um, same for sport. If children are interested, that's generally when learning happens. Um, so focus on interest and fun. Um, how do we measure all of this? I would measure smiles and laughter. Um, that would be really important to me. And another measurement would be other players coming back. Um, so that's that's pretty key. Um, and just have fun with your players. Again, like I hear lots of stressed out coaches who say like, oh, no, I've got a session tonight and oh, they, they drive me mad. Well, maybe we need to kind of... Um, release our inner child a little bit more and almost kind of get lost with um, with the kids that we're working with. You know, it's like me and Elliot on the golf course. Like, I just had loads of fun, like seeing him, you know, make mistakes and have a go and try things. Um, and the same should be true of, of us all, really. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that, that would kind of be my advice. It's like, it, it always kind of comes back to, it is their game at the end of the day. It's our, it's our game in the sense that we're involved because we love it. But we're involved in coaching because we want to give back to the player. Yeah, and play is really important. Um, it's, and it's about getting out of the way and offering some support and adding value when you can. But let's help everybody enjoy. You know, let's help them enjoy their experience of being young, being free and being active. Um, and... Yeah, we've got some great inspirations out there locally. We've got some great inspirations out there nationally. So I haven't got all the answers for sure. I would check in and listen out to, you know, all the different episodes of this podcast because there'll be some golden nuggets in everybody's, um, in everybody's work. And um, if we have that kind of learning mindset as coaches to want to keep improving for our players, then our players will get better and they'll become more skillful and they'll have a better time. Um, so, yeah. That's uh, that's it for me in a nutshell. As always, Jamie. Brilliant. <laughs> great to uh, great to have you on again uh, today, Jamie. Thanks very much for sharing all that uh, with us on Northumberland FA podcast from the sidelines. It's my pleasure, Gary. Thank you.